Welcome to episode 7 of the Super Junior Podcast. I'm your host, Wade Green. Thank you guys for checking back in this week. Hope you guys are staying warm, especially people on the East Coast. It is cold as hell outside. Cold as hell. Monday was freezing. My car doors were frozen shut on Monday. Frozen shut. I had to climb through my passenger side back door just to even be able to get into the car. That's how cold the car was. Thank God I have pushed to start. Because if I didn't, oh Lord of mercy. I've been standing out there looking like an idiot waiting for my car to unfreeze all day. It was cold as hell on Monday. Cold. Why? Why? And then what happened to the snowstorm that was supposed to happen on Saturday? What happened? I went outside to go buy a shovel for this big old snowstorm you're supposed to have. Come to find out there's no snow. I went out on Saturday night, raining like hell, raining. Went to Harlem to hang out with my fraternity. Fire road, guys. Oh, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Looking for parking in the rain is the worst shit ever. Worse. The worst. But anyway, like I said, that snowstorm pissed me off because it was supposed to happen. didn't happen. Then Monday was freezing. Oh, I don't know what's going on. It's too cold. It's too, too cold. Too cold. Anyway, there's other things to talk about this week. I hope you guys had a great week. I had a great week. It was fun. It was just too cold for me. But let's get into some of these topics. We got NBA, DeMarcus Cousins' return. Melo is traded to the Bulls. Why, Melo? Why? James Harden's still hot, but... You know, he looks like he's slowing down. NBA midseason awards. Lonzo Ball out right now as well. Kyrie Irving stepping up to my challenge. NFL, NFC Championship game. All the controversy surrounding that. The Saints complaining. Ugh, I hate the Saints complaining. They complain way too much. Like, I understand the call was a big call, but let me. I'll get into that later. Then the AFC Championship game. Tom Brady, man. I said it. I said it on IG. The only way the Patriots are going to win is Tom Brady plays amazing. Tom Brady has to play amazing for them to win. But, again, we'll get into that later. Carson Wentz, his drama with the Eagles. Some people are talking out. We'll get to that. Dallas Cowboys switching up their offensive staff. Are we really surprised that Kareem Hunt is drawing interest from teams? Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course not. Why would you be surprised by that? But... Also, MLB news, some of the Hall of Fame class for 2019 has been announced. Then we also have boxing, Adrian Broner. He was in the ropes again. No, nah, he wasn't in the ropes again, but he lost. We're going to talk about that and his little tirade he went on after the game. But we're going to start first with a little tennis. I know, I know, me talking about tennis, but tennis is a great-ass sport. I don't know if you guys ever looked at it. And I'm sorry, I grew up in the suburbs. Well, I didn't grow up in the suburbs. I grew up in the Bronx, but high school was in the suburbs. And we play tennis in gym. I'm sorry. I'm well-rounded in the stomach area, too. Let's get into this tennis. Whew. I don't know if you guys saw the match last night between Serena Williams and Carolina Pliskova, but that was a match. I'm not going to lie. It was a great tennis match. Serena, she was on her A game for the second and most of the third set. The first set, she looked a little shaky. The third set... She had a 5-1 lead. She's serving for the match. She has three match points, and then everything changes. She she defends the first match point. She loses that, but she tweets her ankle in the process, and then from that point on, she was never the same for the rest of the match. She lost the final six games, and she lost the match. I'm pissed off because I really wanted to see Serena go against Naomi Osaka. She played her last year in the U.S. Open. I was expecting her to play her again in the semifinals, but... Unfortunately, that didn't happen. I think Nami Osaka is going to win in the woman's side. That girl's dope. 
I like her. I liked her when she beat Serena Williams last year because she stepped up to the challenge and wanted to play her, and she won. But Serena, man, damn. I really hope it was an ankle injury that hindered her performance. I hope she's not going downhill because she's been the leader for women's tennis, especially tennis in the United States, tennis for black people. She's been the leader of that, and I hope she's not on the down end. I know she just had a baby and everything, and I just think, though, Naomi Osaka is on her ass. This this being real, I think she's on her ass. I think she is. She hasn't lost to... Serena Williams, I want to see Serena step up to the channel, actually face her and beat her. So I hope she gets in better shape and also she doesn't play a lot of tournaments. So I know playing against people who play all the time could be a, a little bit of a, like it could be difficult. If someone's playing all the time, you play you play basically only for the majors, like could be a little hindrance. But that's it for Serena Williams. And she looked great in that outfit. She was extra thick. Oh, Lord of mercy. Maybe I haven't looked at Serena Williams in a while. I'm not saying she's the prettiest woman, but her body looked right yesterday. <laughs> not to be sexist. I'm not trying to objectify a woman. I'm just saying. I'm just trying to show, give a give a compliment. That's it. Anyway, this is. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I didn't watch a lot of tennis this week. I just found out that Australia Open was going on. And Australia Open is at... Three o'clock in the morning. I'm not staying up that late or waking up that early. You kidding me? Waking up at three o'clock in the morning to watch some tennis? You're right. Uh, the only reason I watched yesterday because it came out at nine o'clock. So, but anyway, it's supposed to be a new star for the America. His name is Francis Tiafo. He's supposed to be like the next big thing and the next great hope for American tennis. I hope so. He's black, and we haven't had a good tennis player in America since. A men's tennis player, a good one since Andy Roddick, and Andy Roddick better barely won. So we need some new people, new blood in the American side of tennis. And this guy William Tiafo, I didn't see any of his matches at the Australia Open because, like I said, the first match I watched was Serena last night. So to be honest, I only saw the highlights of him versus Nadal. He lost in straight sets, but you can see the potential. He has great defense. He's agile. He can move on the court. When he comes to net, he can really defend. He can cover a lot of space on that court. Nadal was just otherworldly. But he's made it to the quarterfinals, and he keeps progressing. I think he will be one of the better tennis players. He has the charisma on and off the court, especially after matches. You see that charisma. He gets the crowd hyped. And you need people like that, especially if you want to be an American star. You need people like that. So I hope to see you. In future events, U.S. Open, I'll be looking for him. Because especially black tennis players, I expected a lot more for a lot of black tennis players. Like Joe Willie Sanga, he's from France. But he's, he's a black tennis player, and I expected a lot from him. He was getting to a couple semifinals, I think a finals once, but he didn't get it done. Gail Monfils, that nigga is always disappointing me. He's nice. He makes all these flashy plays on the court, but he never puts it all together to actually do anything and be one of those prominent tennis stars. He's from France, too. And then Nick Kyrgios, he's an American. I think he, I think he, he's not Australian or American, but Nick Kyrgios, he's nice. I don't know if he's black, but Nick Kyrgios is nice. And he's another one that disappoints you. He has all this talent, but he never takes anything serious, ever. His serve is fucking amazing, Nick Kyrgios. And last year in the U.S. Open against Roger Federer, I was expecting him to do something. He didn't show up. Federer just took him out of his game. The veterans, veterans, Rafa Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, some of the guys, it's hard to beat them, but I really hope 
Francis Tiafo really becomes the next big star, especially because he's black. I want to see that. I was disappointed with Mon Fleece. I was disappointed with Kyrgios. I'm disappointed with Joe Lissanga. I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but I want him to be the next big thing. That's all I want. But I don't want to bore you guys with all my tennis talk, so we're going to get into some basketball. That's right. Let's get into some basketball. DeMarcus Cousins has returned, everybody. DeMarcus Cousins has returned from the injury bliss. Welcome back, DeMarcus Cousins. Glad to see you back. Glad to see you back healthy. He came back last Friday. He had a big dunk against the Clippers. He scored 14 points. He was another splash brother. He was 3 for 4 from 3. He only played 15 minutes because he fouled out. <laughs> but DeMarcus Cousins had a great return. His second game was a little shaky. He played on Martin Luther King Day. By the way, happy belated birthday, Martin Luther King. Sorry I didn't mention that in the beginning. I'm a terrible, terrible person. Happy belated birthday to Martin Luther King. As I was saying, on MLK Day, DeMarcus Cousins played again. The Golden State Warriors are playing against the Lakers. DeMarcus Cousins did not have one of the best games he's ever had. But Klay Thompson, can I just say something about Klay Thompson? Klay Thompson is... That boy is cold blood dead. This man scored 44 points, 17 for 20 from the field. 17 of 20? What? He hit 10 straight threes. Are you kidding me? He did 10 straight three-pointers. In a game, 10 straight three-pointers. That is ridiculous. All I got to say is people better hope, they better hope, that there's some chemistry issues with DeMarcus Cousins and the rest of his Golden State Warriors teammates because I was reading this article this weekend and DeMarcus Cousins could stay with the Warriors. He'll get paid only $6.5 million or he could leave, join another team, sign a one-year deal. They were, In the article, they were talking about the Lakers picking up DeMarcus Cousins. I don't think so. The Lakers have that young center, Ivan Zubak. I'm not saying he's DeMarcus Cousins, but... He's a good enough big man where you don't really need a DeMarcus Cousins on your team. Lakers need more shooting. That's what they need. But anyway, DeMarcus Cousins could sign a one-year deal with the Lakers for $32 million, or he could stay in Golden State and sign a deal for $6.5 million. But if he stays in Golden State and signs that $6.5 million deal in 2020, since it will be his 10th season, his salary will automatically go up, and he'll be in line for a four-year, $178 million contract that the Warriors can offer him. Four years, $178 million contract. Any team actually can offer him that deal, including the Warriors. So if he likes the Warriors and he loves the chemistry there, he might take that hit. Me, personally, I wouldn't, especially being DeMarcus Cousins because he is coming off an injury. And if I'm him, I would want to secure that bag. And if you're going to give me four years at X amount of dollars, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to take $6 million. When I could go somewhere and make 32, so I could see him not taking that deal. But if he does love the Golden State that much, why not take another salary hit, 6.5, and then in 2020, you get that $178 million deal. That's all I'm saying. This hope for bad chemistry, so he wants to leave after this year and wants to do his own thing. But the Lakers will also do that as well, because if he does go to the Lakers, perhaps 
he could sign a one-year $32 million deal with the Lakers and then re-up with them for the four years $178 million because he will be in his 10th season in the league. So teams better hope the Marcus Cousins don't like it. I like that he's back. Salute to him. Thank God he's back and he's looking well. Hopefully he gets some more basketball shit because you can see he was winded, especially against the Lakers. But they don't really need him right now. They need him in the playoffs. He's, he's been working on his defense because he's getting in there, getting charged. He's always been good at getting charges. It's kind of his pick-and-roll defense. That's why I was surprised the Lakers, they didn't run more pick-and-roll in that game on Monday. You know this man, DeMarcus Cousins, is coming off an injury. You know he's he's slow on pick-and-roll. You know he's tired because he hasn't been playing. Put that man in pick-and-roll. His individual defense is solid enough. He can get in there, do some help defense with the charges and stuff, and maybe get a weak side block. But... His pick-and-roll defense is terrible, so people need to exploit that more and see if that works to his advantage. So, moving on from DeMarcus Cousins, let's get to his teammate. All right, we're going to get into Kevin Durant because I just wanted to talk about this because I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Kevin Durant, he was at a concert, and a fan grabbed his hat. I saw a video I'm going to share with you guys. Listen. Yourself, dog. Don't do hey. that shit again. Be respectful out here, motherfucker. Hey, I'm a watch huge your, watch, fan. Watch I'm a huge fan, KB. I'm a huge fan. Hey. I'm a huge fan. Don't do no shit like that again. I love that guy. Don't do no stupid shit like that again. I love that guy. Lord have mercy. The funniest part of that video was when he noticed that he couldn't grab his hat. <laughs> he said, I got his hat. I got his hat. Oh, no, I don't. That joke was hilarious. And then... The fact that you grab Kevin Durant's hat, I don't know if white people understand this. You don't touch a black person's head. One person. Don't touch their head. Especially a black person who's wearing a hat. They don't want the reason why they wearing a hat because they don't want what's ever underneath the hat to be seen. Don't touch our hats. Kevin Durant is one of them people that probably don't want what's ever on the hat to be seen. We all know Kevin Durant doesn't like to brush his hair. I'm sorry to say this, I know it's kind of mean, but Kevin Durant don't like brushing his hair. Everyone knows this. You ever seen him on the court? He got the BDBs. He can't be walking around without a hat. So you touching a black man's head like that? I was surprised Kevin Durant didn't smack the shit out of him. I would have smacked the hell out of him for doing that crap to me. Don't ever touch my head. Ever. And I've seen white people do this. This is not an anomaly, people. They do it all the time. They've done it to my mom. They touched her hair. They see jewelry, the little, she has locks. So you see the little jewelry in her hair. They're like, oh my God, I love your hair. Ask permission before you just grab someone's head. Don't do that. Where do you people come from? Where? You don't just touch someone's head like that. I feel sorry for Kevin Durant. That was just an aside. Kevin Durant, I'm so I feel so bad for you. I know you got BDBs. I understand why you don't want people touching your head. I understand it. I know people who don't like people touching their head. I understand Kevin Durant. And his manager at the end was hilarious too. I understand you love him. You love him. I understand that. But don't touch that man's head ever in your life. What is wrong with you? Oh, God. I really don't get people sometimes. Really don't. I really don't. Let's talk about some other games that happened on MLK Day. The Rockets played the Philadelphia 76ers. The Philadelphia 76ers destroyed the Rockets. Destroyed the Rockets. It was an ass-open 
upon ass whooping, upon ass whooping. It was sad to see how bad they played. The Rockets, just like they did in the playoffs last year against Golden State Warriors, their threes weren't going in, but they kept shooting them. I don't get it, but they love shooting them damn threes. James Harden, he extended his 30-point game streak to 20 games. He's balling out of his mind. Of course, everyone's saying he's going to be the MVP. Philly, they got physical with James Harden, especially at the end of the second quarter, going into the third quarter. They got really physical with him. Corey Brewer was getting into his chest, getting on his nerves. Joel Embiid was talking trash to him. Philly was getting physical with him, and it threw him off his game. I'm telling y'all, James Harden don't want that smoke. James Harden is not that guy. He's not going to show up in the playoffs. He's showing signs of it already. In that game, you could tell he was just trying to get his 30 points and be out. Let me get my 30 points. I'm going to go sit down on his bench. Game over. I'm tired. They just better today. I expected James Harden to like come out, especially since they were challenging him, going at him, coming at him, basically, coming at his manhood, basically. And he didn't show like, all right, I'm going to go at it. And you got the, I know people are going to be like, oh, James Harden's by himself. That we can't expect him to keep doing it every night by himself. But Philadelphia, Joel Embiid, Corey Brewer, they'll get into his chest and they would challenge him. TJ McConnell, they were challenging him. And James Harden didn't step up to the plate in the third quarter. Third quarter was his time to be like, all right, I'm the leader's team. I'm going to take over this game. But he didn't do that. The Rockets lost by like 30 points. The Rockets lost by 30 points. And the game was basically over. But what I did like in that game, one, Marquise Chris Block on Landry Shamit. That was a beast mode block. Oh, my God. That was a fuck. That was a block. And then also Embiid right now. He's playing like an MVP. He deserves to be in the conversation. I don't think he's going to win it, but he's in the conversation. He's one of the best two-way players in the league. His defense is solid, and he gets it done on the offensive end. Definitely averaging over 20 points. He gets a double-double almost every light. I'm glad to see that he, he's progressing this year. One person that's not progressing is Ben Simmons. I'm not going to get into him, but he needs a jumper ASAP. And getting into the Rockets, the Rockets, they made some moves this week. They added Kenneth Fareed. I haven't really heard from Kenneth Fareed in years. Like, the last time I heard from him, he was in Denver, and he wasn't really doing anything. He was supposed to be the manimal, but he never progressed. He still could only do the same thing he came in the league with. Run, jump, get rebounds, and bring intensity. I was expecting to get a jumper. Never happened. So, we really don't know what to get for Fareed, but he's a good pickup for the Rockets, because he's a small guy, he can get into the paint. He can do, he can run pick and roll with James Harden, but he's not gonna be big enough to be grabbing rebounds with big men. So I don't really know how much he's gonna actually really help the team. And also, oh Lord have mercy, I'm feel so bad for this man. I feel so so bad for this man. Carmelo Anthony, they are tarnishing this man's name. Can we please stop this tarnishing of this man of Carmelo Anthony? This man was great. He was great. He was a great player. Carmelo has never, let's be real, Carmelo has never been the same since Roy Hibbert blocked his shot. I wouldn't be the same either to let Roy Hibbert, Roy Hibbert block your shot like that in the playoffs. Damn. I really do blame J.R. Smith for where Carmelo Anthony is at right now. Because if J.R. Smith didn't get suspended in that series against Indiana Pacers for that first game, because he wanted to be an idiot and, and elbow Jason Terry in the face in the first series against Boston, when we should have ended that series in a sweep, but we had to play an extra game because of J.R. Smith. God damn it. He ruined that series for the Knicks. And then Carmelo Andrews' career has never been the same since that game. Never. That was his greatest moment. And ever since then, slowly but surely, he's been falling down. Now, 
He's got traded to the Bulls. He's getting waived. He's been on his fifth, sixth team in like the past three years. He's been on every goddamn team. Everyone. This same thing with Tracy McGrady. Like, Tracy, why did you stay around so long? You my favorite basketball player of all time, Tracy McGrady. Why the hell you stayed around so long? Playing for the Hawks, the Knicks. I love when you played for the Knicks, though. I love that. I didn't come to see you in the Garden, but I love when you did play for the Knicks. I wish you would stay a little longer. It would have came a little earlier in your career. But you played for a lot of teams, Tracy, especially at the end. San Antonio, Atlanta, all those teams you were playing for. Detroit, like, ugh, it was nasty seeing you in all those jerseys. I just wanted to see you in Orlando and Houston. All my jersey was nasty seeing you in. And same thing with Carmelo. This is, I don't like what they're doing to Carmelo. It's nasty what they're doing to him. They're just disrespecting this man. And it's all because of, J- I blame J.R. Smith because he's the reason why Carmelo Anthony didn't get past Indiana Pacers. I think it was back in 2014. I don't remember. It was the year that the Knicks had their last great season. We won like 54 games and we were like number two in the Eastern Conference. It was a great year for the Knicks. Great year. Great year. And then J.R. Smith happened. Roy Hibbert blocked Carmelo's shot on the baseline. Oh, Lord, I, mean, I would have been embarrassed too, Melo. I, I get it. I was embarrassed. Embarrassed. But J.R. Smith, you ruined this man. You ruined him. You ruined him. You almost ruined LeBron James with that little play you did last year in the playoffs. J.R. Smith is known for this stuff. He ruins people's careers, man. I hope, he, I hope LeBron recovers from what J.R. Smith did to him. He couldn't recover last year. That's why he got swept, which was hilarious, him getting swept. And then I saw an article this week. Lord have mercy. It, the, the disrespect. It's SB Nation had an article. Basically, the article, the headline article was, should Utah pick up Mello? And then I opened the article. The article has one word. No. This is the most disrespect. You make a whole article headline and you put one word. You could even give me an explanation like, oh, Mello could help here. Mello could help there. All you put was No. The disrespect shown to this man, Melo, is ridiculous. And I'm, I'm not going to stand for it. Someone needs to step up and say, y'all, y'all disrespecting. I don't want to call him a Hall of Famer. He's definitely a college basketball Hall of Famer. But NBA, I, I, like I said before, I feel like it's too easy to get into the NBA Hall of Fame. Me, personally, I love Tracy McGrady. I think he's, he's my favorite player. I wouldn't put him in the Hall of Fame because he never got out of the first round. There's some players that just don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, Tracy McGrady is a very good He's one of He's a very... Very, very, very good player. But Hall of Fame, I love Tracy McGrady, but Hall of Fame is a little bit stretched. He doesn't deserve to be in Hall of Fame. He didn't win. He didn't win. Charles, I didn't see Charles Barkley play, but I seen Tracy McGrady play. I seen what he had to go through. He didn't have help in Orlando, so I'm going to stick up for Tracy in that point. He didn't have help in Orlando. He didn't have help in Houston because Yao Ming kept getting hurt. When he finally got some help with Ron Artest, he got hurt. With Tracy McGrady started getting his back issues and his knee issues when Ron Artest finally came around and he had some extra help on the team. So, there are circumstances. I'm happy McGrady is in the, in the Hall of Fame, but I want to consider him to be a Hall of Famer. Same thing with Carmelo. He has, he's a Hall of Fame talent. Don't get me wrong. Both of those are Hall of Fame talents. Carmelo Anthony is a whole. This is shooting ability and scoring ability is Hall of Fame status. I'm sad because Carmelo Anthony is one of my favorite players. And I think that... The what people are doing to him now is just wrong and disrespectful to the person that was one of our best players in this league. Even the players started disrespecting him last year. People were stepping to Carmelo last year, getting in his face. It's like stuff you would never see in the past. Carmelo Anthony is nice. Nice. And the reason, and the way he's being treated now is sad. Sad. 
But one person, one team that Carmelo is supposed to be rumored to like be going to is the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers, they struggling. They're going to be struggling for a while because now Lonzo Ball's out. Last Saturday night against the Rockets, Lonzo Ball went out in the third quarter with an ankle injury. He's supposed to be a grade three ankle sprain. He's going to be out for three to six weeks. And now with Lonzo Ball out, LeBron out, and Rondo, Rondo's supposed to be coming back Thursday night. But without those three, those three average 19.2 assists per game. The rest of the team combined averages 14.2. So you're losing a lot of your playmakers with LeBron, Lonzo, and Rondo out. So Rondo coming back Thursday is going to be huge for that team. And right now, the Lakers, that hurts their chances if they did want to trade Lonzo to get a player like Bradley Beal, a player like Anthony Davis. If I'm the Pelicans, I'm not accepting Lonzo Ball and branding him as a trade. But hey, if you do, you're not going to be able to do that because Lonzo Ball is hurt right now. But one person that is available right now, Memphis is making Gasol and Conley available. And if I'm the Lakers, I know it's not the sexy pickup, but Michael Conley, if I could get a trade for Michael Conley, that would be a good trade for the Lakers to have a veteran point guard like Michael Conley in your backcourt. And maybe even Marcus Gasol, too. That's four years. I think Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley... Next four years alongside LeBron James could do something in the Western Conference. I wouldn't mind seeing that, but the whole thing is what would you have to give up to get Marcus Saul and Mike Conley onto the Lakers? You probably have to give up Kuzma, you have to probably have to give up Ingram, Josh Hart. You're gonna have to give us some big pieces. And I know people don't want to risk losing that cap space, but who's to say that Kawhi Leonard is gonna come in the all season? That Kevin Durant, that all these superstars that people are hoping that come to the Lakers. Who's to say they're going to want to come to Lakers and play alongside LeBron James? Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol, I think they'll fit perfectly around LeBron James because Marcus Gasol will be in the post. He could shoot three, so he's not going to be sticking in the paint and clogging up the middle for LeBron James to drive into the basket. Mike Conley, he's a great veteran point guard. If he was on any good team, if, he was on, if Mike Conley was on the Spurs right now, the Spurs would be a better team. Mike Conley is an asset to any team. You add him to the Lakers. With LeBron James and the rest of the crew, if you, if you at least keep Kuzma on the team, with LeBron James, Kuzma, Beasley, Stevenson, Rondo, Conley, Marcus, if you add that, that that little nucleus, I think that could be a nice little team moving forward. So we'll see what Memphis Griffiths do and if they end up actually trading Conley or Gasol. And we'll see what the Lakers are able to do with Rondo coming back. Is that going to help their offense out? Because without LeBron James, Rondo, Alonzo, you don't have a lot of playmaking on the court. Ingram, he's the good playmaker, but he's not consistent enough to be that playmaker every time down the court. Josh Hart, same thing. He's more of an off guard than a point guard. But the Lakers in the last week did have a nice win against Oklahoma City Thunder. In that game, the Thunder blew that game. It was really Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook was not playing a good game last Thursday night against the Lakers. He went 7-30 from the field. At some point, this is what I mean. Russell, you see your shots not going in. And I appreciate the fact that, hey, Russell Westbrook is never going to shy away from taking that shot. He's never going to be like, oh, my shot's not going in. I'm going to sit back and let that be who I am for the rest of the game. No, he's going to keep playing. He's going to keep going. He's going to always say, like, you know what? Hey, the shot may have not went in this time, but it's going to go in next time. And that's just how Russell Westbrook plays, and that's how he's always going to play. But for me, Russell Westbrook... 7-30, you can't be shooting like that. And recently, past couple of games, he's been getting better with that. His offensive efficiency has been getting better. The past couple of days, he's been passing the ball a lot more, 
getting his teammates more involved, showing that decision-making from that game two weeks ago against Spurs, we had 24 assists, showing that same decision-making skills that is going to help the team win. The Oakland State Thunder has won three straight games now. Prior to that, they were one and six, and that's when Russell's having his little struggles. But now they're back on the track. Their defense has gotten way better. Paul George, like I said, Paul George deserves to be MVP. We'll get into that later about the midseason awards and Paul George being MVP, but he deserves more consideration, like I've been saying. Tuesday night against the Blazers, Paul George had 36 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 5 steals, and 1 block. Paul George is changing games on the defensive end. Hands down. That's what makes him the MVP, in my opinion, because he changes games on the defensive end as well. Against the Portland Trailblazers, his defense was impeccable, and it changed how that game was played. So I'm sick with Paul George as my MVP. And like I said on IG, that man doesn't shoot or deserve some six-man-of-the-year consideration because Sam Presti deserves some credit for that heist. The heist he pulled off by getting Dennis Shooter for Carmelo Anthony. That was a heist. That man, Dennis Shooter, becoming in, he gives the Thunder exactly what they needed. A guard coming off the bench that could handle the ball and that could sometimes push Russ to be play more off the ball. Like I saw this article said, copying exactly what I said about Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook needing to be more off the ball, coming off screens, taking shots like that, coming off screen and shooting shots at the elbow, jumpers, not always taking so many three-point shots. If he does that more, that'll be more successful. Same thing the article said. And that's what Dennis Shooter allows the Thunder to do. Get Russell Westbrook off the ball. Play more off guard. Run on some screens. Play in the post. Make the elbow his place to shoot the ball instead of shooting all these shots from behind the three-point line. Him playing more off the ball, Russell Westbrook is helping the Thunder. And this man, Dennis Shooter, it reminds me of when they had Reggie Jackson. Shooter reminds me more of Reggie Jackson than James Harden. But the way they scoring off the bench, that six-man, Shooter deserves some six-man consideration. And Sam Pressy deserves a lot of credit for the heights he pulled off by getting Dennis Shooter on this team. I like Dennis Shooter. I like the way he plays. He's a little erratic sometimes, just like Russ. He takes little wild three-pointers at times. But for the most part, his pull-up jumper is unstoppable. He gets to the basket. He plays great defense. And he looks like a great teammate to me. A great teammate. He's going to be in line for a big payday. I hope he stays with the Thunder because I think – if he stays with Thunder, it will help his career. I don't think Dennis Shooter should be a starting point guard. But as a backup point guard behind Russ, he's playing well. Really, really well. Oklahoma City Thunder play my Knicks on Martin Luther King Day as well. The Knicks, they look terrible. We're not going to really talk about their play on the court because we all know they look terrible. But I did read an article about some of the Knicks draft prospects. They might be looking at the top five prospects coming into the league next year. And I was reading the list, and I'm telling you right now, obviously, I won Zion on my team, but I found this new kid out of Murray State point guard, Ja Morant. Guys, this man is Russell Westbrook with a three-point shot. Go on YouTube right now and look up Ja Morant. J-A-M-O-R-A-N-T. Ja Morant is going to be a beast. This kid, he has the athleticism. He plays defense. His court vision is amazing. He has the height. He can shoot. The dunking, it's ridiculous. This kid is Russell Westbrook with a shot. You can tell if he wants to, he can average a triple-double as well. This man is Russell Westbrook. Like, I want Zion Williamson on the team. As we all know, the Knicks haven't had a good point guard in years. Emmanuel Moonway is good, but he's not the point guard of the future. Same thing with Trey Burke. Same thing with Frank Nilakina. This kid, John Morant, 
can be the point guard of our future. We may not get the first pick in the draft, but if this kid, John Morant, is available, the Knicks need to get him. Need to get him. I would not be mad if we got him. But I'm telling you guys, look up John Morant. Look him up. The kid is nice. He's a playmaker. And I already told you, he got three-point shot. He has everything you want from a player right now. Everything you can want. Another person mentioned was Cam Reddish. I wouldn't mind getting Cam Reddish, but the only thing, and actually I would mind because in the article it says that he doesn't always play hard. I don't want someone that doesn't always play hard. I don't want another Andrew Wiggins nigga that doesn't always play hard, that sometimes doesn't give all his effort. I don't want that at all. I don't want players that, that is not going to always give it his all 100% of the time. Cam Reddish is like that. He's, that's basically what the article said. And then R.J. Barrett, he's another name that's been mentioned that, again, the top five prospects that's coming into the league. I didn't want him. I don't want him. He has shaky defense and he can't shoot. Nope. Not for me. Not for me. Zion Williamson and John Morant are the players that we need to look at. That's it. Before we get into the midseason awards and we talk about who CBS thought deserved to win the award this year, let's talk about Kyrie Irving, him accepting my challenge that I set out for him last week to be more of a leader. We're going to talk about that. Let's read some quotes from Charles Barkley and Kyrie Irving's head coach, Brad Stevens. Charles Barkley's quotes on Kyrie Irving calling LeBron and announcing it to the media was, he threw the guys under the bus. I didn't like it at all. It seemed like he was saying we're losing because of these guys. They are young. They don't know how to win. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals without him last year. You don't have to tell people you are a leader. Just be a leader. That was from Charles Barkley. Brad Stevens, Kyrie's coach, had to say this in some comments. If you have good intentions, which... Without question, he does. He wants to win. He's dying to win. He wants to be as good as he can be. Then those are things that are great challenges. I think that's all part of the path. Leadership starts with what you do on the court. He was pretty damn good Wednesday night. And then it's how you serve your teammates. And then everything else is what it is. Everything else follows suit from those two things. Ah. The quotes from the coach and Charles Barkley basically the same thing I said last week. Kyrie needs to be more of a leader, and he needs to do it not from these quotes and all these talking to the media. He needs to do it through his leadership and through his play, and that's exactly what Kyrie's been doing. That's like I said last week, he needs to be more of a point guard for this team and to actually sacrifice his scoring to get his teammates involved, and then if he does that, it will make them feel like, hey, if Kyrie does it, why can't I do it too? And that's what he's been doing, and I commend Kyrie Irving for that. Since Kyrie Irving went to the media and told him all this stuff about how he called LeBron in that game against Toronto. He had 27 points, 18 assists. And then Friday night against Memphis, he had 38 points, 11 assists. Saturday night against the Hawks, he had 32 points, 5 assists. And Monday of Martin Luther King Day versus Miami Heat, he had 26 points, 10 assists, and 8 steals. So Kyrie Irving, he's accepting the challenge, and he's actually going out there, and he's playing better. He's getting his teammates involved. The assists are crucial to Kyrie Irving. You're a point guard. Why are you not averaging 10 assists? Especially with the pieces you have around you, there's no reason why Kyrie Irving can't average 10 assists. Kyrie Irving gets assists like he's a two guard. Same thing I'm noticing with Damian Lillard and something that Isaiah Thomas mentioned last night about Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard, he and CJ McCollum, they need to get a way of getting their teammates more involved. We already know Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum get their shot anytime they want. But they have to get their teammates involved. And I think that will make their team better. They maybe need to add another piece like a point forward or 
another wing player that can distribute. You can run the offense through to get those two involved and let them run off screens and get their shots up. They may need to add that in, in Portland, but also those two guards, especially Dame Lillard, he's the point guard. He needs to be more assertive with his passing and his decision-making. If Dame Lillard averages 8, 9, 10 assists a game, there's no reason why his team shouldn't be in the playoffs and be contending for the title. Other than the fact they still need more pieces, like I said, they need another wing player, maybe a wing that is like a point forward, and they'll be better. Same thing about Kyrie Irving as well. Kyrie Irving, he's set to the challenge, and now he's getting his teammates more involved, and now we see the result. Now they're on a winning streak. Now the team is not talking as much. Kyrie Irving is going to be a leader. He has to do it with his play. And by his play, he has to sacrifice some of his scoring, be more of a point guard, and get his teammates involved. And that's what he's doing now, and I commend him for that. But let's get into these NBA midseason awards right now. All right. CBS did a little article where they polled some of their own writers, and every category they looked at who the majority of the writers picked for each category, like MVP, Sits band, coach year, they looked at it and they came up with the list. So the MVP, they have James Harden as MVP. We all know that was gonna happen. James Harden, Houston has gone from a record of eleven and fourteen to a record of twenty six and nineteen because James Harden has averaged forty one point nine points per game, eight point seven assists per game, seven point three rebounds in the last twenty games. James Harden's balling out. He's balling out. I wouldn't pick him as MVP because He's really only doing on one side of the court. That's just be real. He's only doing on one side of the court. There's players like Giannis who play on both sides of the court and Bede who play on both sides of the court and Paul George. He's playing on both sides of the court right now. He's doing a great job. He's one of the, he is one of the best defenders in the league and he's changing games with his defense. And isn't that valuable? Defense is valuable because you're going to need someone to stop someone when the players come around. You're going to need someone to stop somebody. So me personally, I will go... Paul George at the MVP spot. Obviously, CBS goes James Harden. And then Rookie of the Year, this is unanimous. No argument here. Luka Doncic, he's going to get Rookie of the Year. No other rookies playing like he is. Don't need to spend time on that. Paul George, they have Paul George as Defensive Player of the Year. And I'm down with that. If you're not going to get Paul George MVP, you got to at least give him Defensive Player of the Year. I think Paul George deserves both, honestly. He could be MVP and the Best Defensive Player of the Year. It's not like his offense is not good. Paul is one of the best offensive players in the league, and he's playing the best defense in the league. So how can he not be the most valuable player? How can he not? But we'll move on. Six man here. CBS has DeMontis Sabonis. I'm not mad at that. I was looking at his stats. He's almost averaging a double-double off the bench for the Indiana Pacers. He has 15 points per game. Then he's averaging 9.6 rebounds per game. Hey, 9.6 rebounds a game. And you coming off the bench for the Indiana Pacers, those numbers are good enough. I think people would say either Derrick Rose or I would put some people saying Lou Williams. I, I didn't really hear about Lou Williams this year. I haven't really looked at Clippers games like that, and I don't think he's having that same kind of impact he had last year. But like I said, I'll go Dennis Shooter or I will go Derrick Rose. Right now, to this point, I will go with Derrick Rose for the Nets category, which is most approved player. But oh, between DeMontis Sabonis and Shooter, I'll choose between those two guys right now for Sixth Man of the Year. And then most approved player of the year, they have Pascal Siakam. I think Pascal Siakam is definitely approved. He's averaging 15 points per game. He's averaging seven rebounds per game off the bench for the Toronto Raptors. But for me, most improved is definitely got to be Derrick Rose. He's starting an all-star game. Why is he not the most improved player in the league right now? 
And another thing about Derrick Rose, I think Minnesota needs to look at putting him in the starting lineup and making the offense run through him. Because every time he has the ball and the offense is going through him, he's going to make a play. He's going to make the right pass, or he's going to get a nice jumper, and he's in his threes now. So people got to respect that. You can't run the offense through inconsistent Andrew Wiggins, and you can't always run the offense through Cat because he doesn't always have that motor. He doesn't always play his best. So I say put it through Derrick Rose and play through him a lot more. Why not start Derrick Rose and Jeff Teague at this, in the same lineup? And when he, Derrick Rose is on the court, run more offense through him. I think Derrick Rose deserves most improved. Coach of the year, Mike Malone or Mike Budenholzer, those two could be good for coach of the year. I wouldn't be mad at either one of those. Mike Malone is doing a good job with Denver. And Mike Budenholzer is doing a good job with the Greek Freak out in Milwaukee. They're doing a great job right now. They have the best record in the league, Milwaukee. So I'll be mad at Mike Budenholzer with that. Executive of the year, this is a good one. To me, it's a two-man race between Messiah Ujiri and Sam Presti. Because Sam Presti pulled off that heist to get Dennis Schroeder. And Messiah Ujiri pulled off a heist, too, to get what's-his-name. To get Kawhi Leonard for DeMar DeRozan is showing you that he's better. Everyone wants to be mad about DeMar DeRozan and feel sorry for him. But at the end of the day, Kawhi Leonard is a better player than DeMar DeRozan. I know you want loyalty at the same time. They put their faith in you to actually show up and do something in the playoffs DeMar DeRozan against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and you never did. You never did. And then you want to come out and get your first triple-double against them. Where was this triple-double in the playoffs when they needed you? They needed you to play at that level in the playoffs against LeBron James. Instead, you get swept by LeBron and the Cavaliers last year. And then you lose the year before that. You always lose LeBron. You never show up big in those games. But now you want to get all mad because the team traded you. Maybe they wouldn't have traded you if you would have showed up where they needed you the most. How about that? How about that? But anyway, I believe executive is definitely Sam Presti or Lucite or Jury. I won't be mad at either, but I'll pull him for Sam Presti. But for now, that's all I have for basketball. Let's get into some NFL talk. Yes, y'all, let's get into some NFL football because last week was the title games. It was the Rams versus the Saints in the first game. That game, it was a great game. Great, great game, in my opinion. The crowd was going crazy. Jared Goff could barely hear anything. He had to walk to receivers, walk to linemen, just to talk to them and tell them the audible. It was ridiculous. He couldn't hear any plays that was being called in. It was absolutely ridiculous in the Superdome. And we all know about the... Pass interference call that wasn't called in on the cornerback for the Rams, Roby Coleman. We all know that was a foul. We all know it. But can we please be real? The Saints did not lose this game because of that call. The Saints lost the game because they didn't show up and weren't on their A game in the beginning of the game. The first quarter, the Saints, they drove down the field their first possession for like five, six minutes. The Rams defense held them to a field goal. Held them to a field goal. And then the Rams go out on the field, their offense. Jared Goff throws the ball. Hits off Todd Gurley's hand. Interception by Demario Davis. Ball is in the red zone of the Rams, basically. They have like 20 yards to go. Still couldn't get it in. Rams hold them again to a field goal. Come on. That's 14 points that should have been on the board, but instead you only have six. That's the Saints' fault. Their execution was terrible. Drew Brees' execution, Sean Payne's play calling, both terrible in the first half. They should have been up 21-10 to 10 going into halftime, but instead they were only up 
13 to 10 going into halftime. And if you are the Rams and you're down only 13-10 with all that crowd noise, with how terrible your offense looked in the first half, Todd Gurley basically looked like he choked. By the way, I hope Todd Gurley was hurt. Like, I don't hope he's hurt, but to explain his injury, I hope he was hurt. I hope he didn't choke, and that's the reason why he had a bad performance. I hope it was an injury that was the reason why he had a bad game. Because if he choked, I'll be really disappointed in Todd Gurley. Really disappointed. But C.J. Anderson played well again. And I'm sick of hearing all these players on the Saints complain about that they lost and how they were robbed of this and the owner wants to have a lawsuit against the league and the league is going to change rules based off what happened. They're going to let coaches be able to challenge scoring plays or just plays at the end of the game where there might have been a pass interference. They're going to let coaches challenge that. Like, no, no, no. How about teams capitalize on the opportunities? The Saints did not capitalize on the opportunities. If Tom Brady was in that situation where he had a team, he drove down the field and he, for five, six minutes, he would have scored a touchdown. I believe right now in the playoffs, Tom Brady's going to score a touchdown in that situation. If Tom Brady gets a turnover in this opponent's red zone in the first half off an of interception, he's going to get a touchdown. He's not going to settle for a field goal. That was all on the Saints. And then we got to go back. Michael Thomas, I told you, Michael Thomas in that game, he only had four catches, 36 yards. I told you the reason why the Saints were winning was because people were letting Michael Thomas get off. No one else on that Saints offense is going to get off in the passing game-wise. Only other person is Alvin Kamara. He can only do so much. He's not a, a running back that's going to go out there and line up like Le'Veon Bellwood. He's not that type of running back. He just comes out of the backfield and catches passes. Michael Thomas is the only route-running receiver. Taquan Smith and Ted Ginn Jr., they made some plays, but they're not going to beat you. I'd rather have Ted Ginn Jr. make a deep ball all game rather than let Michael Thomas beat me. Michael Thomas is not beating me again, and he couldn't do that because the Rams shut him down. Akeem Tlaib showed up. That's what I said would be the matchup of the day, Akeem Tlaib versus Michael Thomas, and it was because Michael Thomas was held in check, and also Drew Brees didn't play like he's supposed to. He didn't play like he's supposed to, uh, and people weren't complaining about the pass interference. The Saints defense could have went out there and stopped the Rams, but they didn't. They didn't. The Saints got the first possession in the overtime period, and they didn't do anything with it. Guess what happened? Drew Brees turned the ball over. And got, by the way, Drew Brees, through the first 12 weeks of this season, he was balling out. He had 29 touchdowns, two interceptions. But then, after that Dallas game, he's had seven touchdowns and five interceptions. So he hasn't been the same player since the Dallas game. The Saints overall haven't been the same team. Ever since people figured out like their offense is Michael Thomas a bust, they're not going to play that well. They're just not. Because you could just shut down Michael Thomas and it's over for the Saints. And that's what happened. So everyone complained about that call. Stop complaining about it. Look at the Saints team. They did not capitalize on opportunities. They weren't the better team at the end of the day. They had all the advantages. They had the home field advantage. And the Rams just kept fighting, kept fighting their defense, kept fighting, kept keeping their team in the game. And Jared Goff, when it mattered most, he made more plays than Drew Brees. Stop complaining. Saints only scored 23 points. They should have had just 21 points in the first quarter by, by itself. But they only scored 23 points for the whole game. They did not capitalize. Their offense was not as good as they were previously in the season, before week 12, before they played the Cowboys. But moving on to the next game, the Patriots faced the Chiefs in the AFC title game. It wasn't shocking because I said on IG that I thought the Patriots were going to win only if Tom Brady plays an amazing game. He did play an amazing game. But not only did Tom Brady play a major game, my man Bill Belichick also had a great game as well with his defensive plan, being able to hold 
Patrick Holmes to zero points again in the first half, Bill Belichick deserves some credit. That's why both of them together, they're both the GOATs. Because when you come at the Kings, you best not miss. You cannot mess up against this Patriots team. You can't. The Patriots, Tom Brady came out in the game, drove down the field, touchdown. And he was just controlling the game. He kept them off the field for damn near the whole game, Tom Brady did. And then Patrick Mahomes, his weapons were basically taken away. Tyreek only had one catch. Kelsey really didn't do much. The biggest receiver was Sammy Watkins. I bet Bill Pacheco was like, oh, we could let him get off. You're not going to stop everyone, so you're going to let someone get off. You'd rather it be Sammy Watkins. And Patrick Mahomes' big throw in the third quarter to Sammy Watkins was big time. It was big time. But like I said, it takes a team effort. The Kansas City's defense was torch. Tom Brady picked them apart. And for that, Bob Sutton, the Kansas City's defensive coordinator, was fired by Andy Reid after the game. And it's understandable because there's no reason why the Patriots should be going 13 for 19 on third down. 13 for 19 on third down. The Patriots, they had the ball for 44 minutes. The Chiefs had the ball for 21 minutes. I don't know how the Chiefs were able to score so many points and only had the ball for like 20 minutes in the whole game. And then the Patriots ran 94 total plays. The Chiefs ran 47. The Chiefs' defense was tired. 94 total plays? You on the field for 44 minutes? You on the field for damn near three quarters? How are you on the field for three quarters? Three quarters of the game you're on the field? Is That is insane. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are amazing. You see their greatness together because it complements each other so well. Bill Belichick takes care of that defense. He gives Tom Brady opportunities because he's holding down Patrick Mahomes, keeping him at bay until the second half. But Tom Brady already has a lead when the second half comes around and his team is still playing good. And Tom Brady's offensive line, Chris Jones, D. Ford, and Justin Houston did absolutely nothing. They didn't get no sats on him. And the Patriots defense, they got four sats on Patrick Mahomes. So it was just an all-around domination by the Patriots. They played everything well. Their old guys, Julian Edelman and Gronk, showed up. There's just a lot of stuff happening in that game. And it was just, you just got to tip your hat to Tom Brady. He's the GOAT. And Bill Belichick, he's a great, great defensive coach. The Chiefs had their chance. D Ford line up all sides. Like I said, when you come out the Kings, you best not miss. People need to recognize that Tom Brady is. That's one cold-blooded man, man. Tom Brady is cold-blooded. He's cold as ice. And when it comes to big moments in the playoffs, he's always going to be on his A game. See, the thing about the Patriots is when the playoff comes around, they're always on their A game. They executed everything they wanted to execute in that game against the Chiefs. Same thing they did against the Chargers. They did every single thing that they wanted to. So that means they're on their A game. They're always finding their game plan to a T. That's why it takes a team that's going to do the exact thing to them. They have to be on their A game, and they have to make sure they don't make any mistakes. Or else you're going to lose against the Patriots, because the Patriots aren't going to make mistakes. And the Chiefs beat themselves because on that play with D. Ford, they ended up getting an interception, but it was called back, and the Patriots ended up winning, taking it to overtime, and they won the game. I hear people complain about overtime rules, too, in the NFL. Hey, Chiefs, you should have stopped them. Don't complain about that. I don't want to hear what they're complaining. Complaining is annoying. But... Staying on the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, there's reports out there that he might be the first quarterback to get a $200 million contract. If Patrick Mahomes would have made it to the Super Bowl this year, he definitely was going to get a big endorsement deal, and he's going to definitely merit that type of money. 
after next season, he's going to get his extension. He gets $200 million, it's going to be well-deserved. He's the leader of the new school right now. It's him, Deshaun Watson, Andrew Luck, all those guy group, Baker Mayfield, they're all going to be in that little leadership. And he's obviously going to be the MVP this year as well, Patrick Mahomes. So if you get an MVP in your first season, you're going to merit $200 million. It's just how you're going to pay everyone else on that team because they need some defense on the Kansas City Chiefs. And some more news about the Chiefs. Their old running back who was suspended for hitting a woman, Kareem Hunt, he is drawing interest from teams. One of the teams that are interested in Kareem Hunt is the Bears because Matt Nagy, their head coach, used to coach Kareem Hunt in Kansas City. And they have a lot of running backs. I don't think they need Jordan Howard, Kareem Hunt, and Tariq Cohen. I think that he's just checking in on him, see how he's doing. But is anyone really surprised that Kareem Hunt is drawing interest from teams even though he hit a woman? Yeah. No, well, I'm not surprised. It's a shame because he really shouldn't be getting any looks from teams, but because if you look at it, it's footage of this man beating up on a woman. Like, you threw Ray Rice out of the league. Why not throw him out of the league and keep him out of the league? You're keeping Colin Kaepernick out of the league. Why don't you keep this man out of the league? Dante Starworth killed somebody and let this man still play in the league. Like, I don't get this stuff about the NFL, but that's some, and that's some things like, oh, so why do you still watch it? I'm not going to lie, because... It's entertaining. It's sad that they really keep someone like Colin Kaepernick out of the league, but you're probably going to let this man, just because he runs fast, back into the league. This is this really shows what they prioritize. But anyway, it's going to be the Patriots and Rams in the Super Bowl this year. I'm not going to give my position right now. Super Bowl 53 is going to be held in Atlanta on February 3rd. <sighs> I don't know who's going to win. Only thing I'm going to say right now is Ty Gurley, your ass better show up. Because you cannot be playing bad like you did against the Saints. Todd Gurley needs to show up. Especially since you know that Bill Project is going to take away whatever the Rams do best. And it's going to be Todd Gurley. And it's going to be one of them receivers. He's not going to let Brandon Cooks get off. And he's not going to let Robert Woods get off. So he, the Rams are going to have to figure something out. Because Bill Belichick is not going to let Brandon Cooks or Robert Woods get off. Todd Gurley, you too. You're not going to be able to get off on that team. At all. So it's going to be interesting to see. I'll get my predictions when it's closer, but I'll be keeping my eye out for the storyline that's going to be building from that. During the AFC title game, Tony Romo was receiving a lot of praise for his call for that game. I was watching it. I didn't see anything special about it. I guess it's cool that he calls out plays. I really don't like that. The guy keeps calling out the plays that's going to happen. It's cool. Like, oh, wow, he knows the plays that's coming. I mean, he is a quarterback. He should know the plays that are coming, but hey. Sorry, I would expect that from a quarterback. I don't know. I don't, I don't find anything special about Tony Romo calling out the plays that's going to happen. It's cool. Like, oh, wow, he has some recognition. But I think don't all quarterbacks, especially one that's played in this era, wouldn't he know what these plays look like? Don't want to sound like a hater, but I'm just saying. But Tony Romo is going to be making a lot of money. I'm glad to see his broadcasting career is going way better than his playing career. He's going to be making some money from CBS because his contract is up at the next season. And no, a lot of people are going to want him. I would like to see him in the Monday Night Football booth. Get rid of Jason Witten. Get rid of that whole Monday Night Football people because they suck. They annoy me. Booker McFarlane is kind of cool, but everyone else, please leave. It went down since they got they got rid of Mike Tirico. And now, without John Gruden, still not, it's not good either. Monday Night Football crew needs to change. CBS better not let Tony Robo go anywhere. Him and Jim Nance are good together. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are my crew. I like those guys better. But they'll, like... Tony Romo, he's going to get paid. And he's looking like he's going to get paid more than 
John Madden did, or close to where John Madden did. Did you know that John Madden made eight million in 1993 from Fox to be the NFL analyst? That is ridiculous. In 1993, he made eight million. Imagine what that would be now in today's money. That's crazy. That's how much Tony Romo was probably gonna make, especially if he has a whole bunch of networks going after him. He's gonna make a bank. He is going to make bank. Sticking with NFC East quarterbacks, let's get into Carson Wentz. Because this Monday, we, we didn't hear too much. We didn't hear too much of that from the Eagles locker room this past Monday. Because they're going at their quarterback. And it's not looking good. Because the Philadelphia Voice, they reported on Monday that team sources describe Wentz as being selfish, uncompromising, and egotistical. Half a dozen of players and sources close to the team Sources wanted to remain anonymous because they feared repercussions because of Wentz's power. You trying to act like this nigga's Nino Brown? They afraid of his power? Come on, man. The sources from the article accused Wentz of playing favorites and failing to take accountability while describing Nick Foles as universally loved. Zach Ertz, Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, and Jason Kelsey all came out in support of Carson Wentz. So... It's a little divide in that locker room. Maybe people are behind Wentz, people are behind Nick Foles. All I know is this is the first sign of the end of Nick Foles and the Eagles. There's no way after this article Nick Foles can come back to this team at all. There's none because there's always going to be this divide. There's always going to be a little chatter behind your back. If I'm Carson, I'm always going to be wondering who's on his side, who's on my side. You got to get rid of Nick Foles after this. And I just thought that whoever put this out is obviously they trying to plant the seed, the first steps of getting Nick Foles out of there, but also trying to send the message to Carson Wentz of what he needs to do to be so we can have the same success with the team going forward. Also, an article it says that Carson didn't want to run certain plays because they were seen as Foles type plays. And I get that. He's being petty. He don't want to run the same plays as him. And it also says that maybe Carson Wentz rushed back too soon because he felt threatened by Nick Foles. That's obvious. If the man just won a ring and he was a Super Bowl MVP and he played well, I would feel nervous too. If that's supposed to be my team, I'm supposed to be a leader, I'm supposed to be a franchise player, but my backup quarterback keeps coming in and playing good, I'll be nervous too. So they said because of that, he rushed back and he wasn't 100% himself and he didn't listen to the offensive quarter Mike Grew. That's who I think came out. It was one of the receivers and also... The offensive coordinator. Those two are the ones I think helped out with this article. Well, I think the receiver was Nelson Aguilar because they also complained about him playing favorites. And the person he plays favorites to is Zach Ertz. Carson Wentz's main target is always Zach Ertz. People are naturally not going to be cool with that. So I think one of the receivers, maybe not Alshon Jeffrey, maybe not. But Nelson Aguilar, Jordan Matthews. Jordan Matthews is cool with Carson Wentz, so that's not going to happen. Golden Tate, he just got there, so he really can't complain. So I think it was Nelson Aguilar. And the other one, the offensive coordinator, because they said that Carson Wentz bullies the offensive coordinator. I feel like the offensive coordinator was basically talking to Carson Wentz through the media, basically trying to tell him, like, hey, you got to listen to me. Like, I'm here to help you, basically, and try to help him get back on the same page. This is all directed at Carson Wentz and also to help transition it out of the Nick Foles and Carson Wentz era just to the Carson Wentz era and to give Carson Wentz like a guideline of what he needs to work on so the team can have the same kind of success it did with Nick Foles. This is all it was. I'm not going to look too much deeper into it. Let's move on to another NFC East quarterback, Eli Manning. Eli Manning, there was an article that came out by the New York Post about Eli Manning and whether or not he's going to be returning to the Giants next year. 
Me personally, I don't care if he comes back to the Giants, but they were talking about if he does come back, he might have to restructure his contract. I don't know if he's going to restructure his contract. I don't see the Giants having enough gumption going to Eli Manning and ask him to take a pay cut. If they did, I'll be completely surprised. If he does take a pay cut, I wouldn't mind keeping him on the team. I wouldn't want him on the team for $17 million or $23 million. That's way too much money for Eli Manning. And they need to draft a quarterback as well. Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, those are two quarterbacks they need to be looking at. John Gruden is already talking good about Kyler Murray, so he might be going to Oakland. But Dwayne Haskins, he needs to become a giant. Eli Manning can stay. He can mentor Dwayne Haskins. But Eli Manning, this is your final year. 2019 is your final season. So just ride off into the sunset, and that's it. That's all you're good for. (laughs) All NFC East Day. The Cowboys... They're in the news as well. They fired their offensive coordinator, Scott Lenahan. They fired him. They're looking to make Kellen Moore their new offensive coordinator. He was their quarterback coach last year. I'm not familiar with Kellen Moore to know if he can be the offensive coordinator or not. According to articles, they really think highly of him in Dallas, so he might be the next offensive coordinator. We shall see. Dallas last year under Scott Lenahan, they finished 22nd in NFL in total yards of offense with 343.8 yards per game and 22nd in points per game with 20.1 points per game. They were 10th in third downs, but 29th in red down efficiency. They got inside the 20-yard line 50 times during the regular season with 24 touchdowns, a sharp decline from last year when the Cowboys were 6th in red zone offense, and they had 31 touchdowns and 52 opportunities last year. So, the offense wasn't looking good. Everyone's been complaining about Dallas' offense. I thought that Jason Garrett should start calling some more plays, getting more involved in the offensive game plan, but Jason Garrett has an easy job. He don't got to do nothing but clap on the sidelines, so he's going to keep having fun with that. And I know he doesn't care. He's going to keep getting his money, and what's name's going to keep loving him, and he's going to keep saying as a Cowboys head coach. The Cowboys also signed the Jets' former second-round pick, Devin Smith, out of Ohio State. He's had a three-year career. Last year, he did not play. He got released, I guess, to rehab because in his three seasons with the Jets, he suffered two ACL sprains in 2015 and 2017. But this guy, Devin Smith, when the Jets first drafted him, I was excited because I remember his big performance that season with Ohio State when he was wide receiver working with JT Barrett, Braxton Miller, and Cardale Jones as his quarterbacks in Ohio State. He's had 12 touchdowns that year, 28.2 yards per catch that season. And I thought coming out of Ohio State that year, he was going to be a good asset for the Jets. Didn't turn out that way, but things happen, you know. I think it's a great move for the Cowboys because low risk, high reward. If he doesn't come back in shape or he's if he's not at 100% after all those ACL tears, hey, it's low risk. You get rid of him and you find someone else. But if he is good and he's back to the Devin Smith that would play at Ohio State, that could be a big key weapon for the Nets offensive coordinator to use for Dak and Dak to get the ball deep. And Amari Cooper could play the underneath stuff and Devin Smith, he could go take the top off of the defense and Dak could throw the ball over the top to him. So he could be a major asset if he comes back and he's healthy and he's if he's back to the form he showed at Ohio State. He could be a major pickup for the Dallas Cowboys. But we'll just have to see. But for now, let's move on to some baseball and other topics. little biggie for baseball let's get some baseball topics out of the way the hall of fame was announced on tuesday night 
four Hall of Famers just got in. My man, Mario Rivera, is now a Hall of Famer. He was unanimously voted in by the baseball writers. Also, another one of my Yankee greats, Mike Mussina, another Yankee great. He is also a Hall of Famer. Edgar Martinez, I didn't get to see him play too much, so I can't speak on him. And also, Roy Holiday, he's also in the Hall of Fame. Rest in peace to him. Congratulations to those guys, especially Mariano Vera and Mike Mussina. Happy to see Mariano get 100% of the vote like he deserves. Also, my Yankees also traded away Sonny Gray. Finally, that terrible, terrible pickup by my team. I don't know why we let this man on my team. Why this man was on the team. And it's so sad because we gave up a lot of prospects just to get him. He just was a dud. Reminded me of Kevin Brown when he came to the Yankees or A.J. Burnett. A.J. Burnett had a couple good games. Unlike this man, Sonny Gray, he had no good games. Well, all those We always get pitches that suck. Always. Only pitch that worked out for us, Randy Johnson worked out a little bit. And also my man, CC Sabathia. Those are good pickups for us. Great, great pickups for us. <laughs> but I'm happy we got rid of Sonny Gray, though. We got a center fielder back in return, Josh Stowers from the Mariners. Sonny Gray went to the Reds. We traded the guy we got from the Reds to the Mariners to get Josh Stowers, who's a center fielder. We'll see what he can do for the Yankees. We have a lot of outfielders, but to be honest. You know what I really noticed about baseball? Baseball really needs more of the hype that we see the NBA get from their free agency for them. Because their big-name players are still free agents. Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, and we barely hear anything about it. Imagine LeBron James was, was still a free agent like three weeks later. You know how much hoopla we will hear? A whole bunch of hoopla. Like SpongeBob would say, a whole bunch of hoopla. And then... What's his name? Imagine if Kevin Durant was still a free agent for two, three weeks. Like, come on right now. Bryce Harper and what's his name are free agents, and we barely hear anything about baseball. Barely. Baseball and football need to make up their free agency look be a little bit better. Football free agency won't ever be that good because no really big-name player is ever really a free agent in football, and the big-name players are the quarterbacks. What was the last big-name quarterback that was a free agent? Peyton Manning, and he already knew what team he was going to, so it was no big like free agent deal. If baseball had better stars and their free agency was more exciting, they'll get more interest in the sport. So boring. <laughs> but anyway, moving away from baseball, let's get into Adrian Broner. Lord have mercy. Adrian Broner, when is Adrian Broner going to leave? When is he going to leave? I'm sick of Adrian Broner. Adrian Broner hasn't been good a year. Every time money time comes up, he has all this flash and all this pizzazz and all this, all this stuff to talk. But when... Fight time comes. He hasn't been showing up in his last couple of fights. He's been very disappointing. Very disappointing. He thought he was going to be the Nets. Floyd Mayweather. This man is no Floyd. He's all talk. And now he's getting delusional. I want you guys to listen to what Adrian Broner had to say after the fight against Manny Pacquiao. And by the way, Manny Pacquiao won that fight unanimously. I didn't see the fight because I wasn't going to pay money to go see Adrian Broner fight. Or what's the name fight? Do you think I'm going to pay money to see Adrian Broner fight? Negro, please. Negro, please. I ain't watching no Adrian Broner fight for $60. I'm not going on Twitter to even get the illegal URL to go see that fight. I'd rather watch the highlights later. And this is the exact reason why. This is Adrian Broner after the fight against Manny Pacquiao talking to Showtime announcer. What did you think about the fight? What you, I beat him. Everybody out there know I beat him. No, he didn't. Everybody out there know I beat him. I controlled I the that. fight. He was missing. I hit him clean more times. I beat him. You averaged eight punches 
less than eight punches was the most punches that you had in the round. You should see his face. You know he lost. It, sound like, it already sounded like you was against me. So I already ain't, I already, I already ain't got a fair shake talking to you. But let me talk something. Let me let y'all know. I want to thank the whole hood who came out here. I love y'all. I did this for the hood. Y'all know I beat that boy. Y'all know I beat that boy. They trying to, what they trying to do is they trying to get that money again with Pacquiao and um, Floyd. But it's cool. I ain't worrying about it. I'm still that nigga, man. I'm on top. Cincinnati, stand up. West side, 2-5. You're 3-3-1 three, three and one in your last seven fights. What will you do next? Hey, I'm 3-3-1 three, three in my last seven, but I'll be 7-0 seven, no against you. Oh, well, that wouldn't mean much. That's the end of this interview. What oh, Adrian. Oh, Adrian. Why you have to threaten them, poor white man? Tell him you're going to fight him. Come on now. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even be him right now, Adrian Brown. You're not that good anymore, man. Everyone's saying he kept the same energy, but you can't keep that same energy when you lose it. He sounds worse than the Saints complaining, oh, oh, I didn't lose. They're just trying to get that money for Pacquiao, Mayweather too. No, man. No. No. And Hood, don't don't be excited to have this man shouting you out. Hood, please don't listen to his shout out. Please. Please don't listen to it. This man from Hood, and he's going to actually sit here and say that he won that fight. He gonna sit here and say he won that fight. From what the announcer just said, he landed eight punches per round. Less than eight punches per round. Are you kidding me? And you think he won that fight? Lord have mercy. Adrian Broner, I don't know what's gonna happen to you. Your career is basically over. There's none of you know that. You can keep doing this flashy stuff. You should just go to the WWE. You can do all this flashy stuff and you can win sometimes because they'll write it in for you. Right now, you're just not the same boxer anymore. And it's all good. Adrian Broner, at least you weren't in the ropes again. Like Fab said, looking like Adrian Broner in the ropes, that looked bad. At least you stayed up. You didn't get knocked out. I hope everything works out for Adrian Broner going forward. But let's be honest. His career is over. Just like this podcast. Thank you guys for listening. See you guys next week. Again, my name is Wade. If you guys want to talk about any one of the topics, you can hit me up on my website through Instagram. Or you can hit me up on Instagram as well at SuperJunior93. Thank you guys again for listening. Yes, Lord, it's the shit I want to go out to. Yeah, yeah, it's the shit I want to go out to.